Thanks for joining the Heights Church podcast today. We hope that you enjoy the message. If you're in the Sydney area, be sure to join us at the Heights Church at Golston Road, Hornsby Heights, Sydney, Australia. As uh, Paul said um, this morning, being school holidays, I thought we'd have a short video on, on the Gospel of John, uh, which is the passage I'm taking uh, for this morning. If, while you're watching this, just have a, a, a look and ponder on what was the responses to Jesus when he presented the, the Gospel, said things about who he was and did the miracles that he did. Just have a, a, a think about what that meant. Thanks. The Gospel according to John. It's one of the earliest accounts of Jesus' life, and we learn at the end of the book that it comes from one of Jesus' closest followers called the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, he appears many times in the story itself, and there's some debate about whether it's John the son of Zebedee, one of the twelve, or a different John who lived in Jerusalem and was known in the later church as John the Elder. Whichever John it was, the book embodies his eyewitness testimony, and it's been brilliantly designed with a clear purpose that he states near the end. John says, the story is written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that by believing you may have life in his name. John believes that the Jesus you read about in this book is alive and real and that he can change your life forever. The book's design is really cool. Its first half opens with an introductory poem and a short story that's followed by then a big block of stories about Jesus performing miraculous signs that generate increasing controversy. And it all culminates in his greatest sign, the raising of Lazarus, which creates the greatest controversy as Israel's leaders decide to kill Jesus. And that launches into the book's second half. These chapters focus on Jesus' final night and last words to his disciples, which are followed by his arrest, trial, death, and resurrection. The book concludes with an epilogue. In this video, we're just going to focus on the first half. So the book opens with a two-part introduction. First, a poem that begins, in the beginning, was the Word, an obvious allusion to Genesis 1, when God created everything with his Word. Now, a person's words, they're distinct from that person, but they're also the embodiment of that person's mind and will. And so John says that God's Word was with God, that is distinct. And yet the word was God, that is divine. And as we ponder this claim, we hear later in the poem that this divine word became human in Jesus. Then John goes on to draw from the stories of Exodus, saying that Jesus was God's tabernacle in our midst. The glorious divine presence that hovered over the Ark of the Covenant became a human in Jesus. Which leads to his last claim, that the one true God of Israel consists of God the Father and the Son, who has become human to reveal the Father to us. Now, as we consider these mind-bending claims, we then start to hear a story about how John the Baptist first met Jesus and then led other people to meet him and become his disciples. And one by one, as people encounter Jesus, they say out loud who they think he is. And in this one chapter, Jesus is given seven titles. Now, these titles prepare us for John's love of sevens in designing the book, but altogether they also make a claim that this fully human Jesus from Nazareth is the messianic king, he's the teacher of Israel, and he's the son of God who will die for the sins of the world. 
Now, that's a big claim to make about someone, and John will now go on to support it through the stories in chapters 2 through 12. They all have the same basic pattern. Jesus will perform a sign or make a claim about himself, and that will result in misunderstanding or controversy. And so, in the end of each story, people are forced to make a choice about who they think Jesus is. The first section shows Jesus encountering four classic Jewish institutions, and in each case, Jesus shows that he is the reality to which that institution pointed. So Jesus is at a wedding party, and the wine runs out, and Jesus then turns these huge jugs of water, like 120 gallons total, into the best wine ever. And the head waiter says to the groom, you've saved the best wine for last, which is, of course, true. But John also calls this miracle Jesus's first sign. In other words, it's a symbol that reveals something about Jesus. So just as Isaiah said that the messianic kingdom would be like this huge party with lots of good wine, so this first miraculous sign reveals the generosity of Jesus's kingdom. Next, Jesus goes to the Jerusalem temple, the place where heaven and earth were supposed to come together and God would meet with his people. And Jesus asserts his authority over it, running out all the money exchangers, stopping the sacrificial offerings. And when the temple leaders threaten him, he says, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. Jesus is claiming that his coming sacrificial death is where heaven and earth will truly meet together. His body that will be killed is the reality to which the temple building points. Then Jesus has this all-night conversation with a rabbi named Nicodemus who thinks that Jesus is just like him, another rabbi and teacher for Israel. But Jesus says that Israel needs much more than just another teacher with new information. Israel needs a new heart and a new life. Or in his words, no one can experience God's kingdom without being born again. Jesus believes that humans are caught in a web of selfishness and sin that leads to death. But he also knows that God loves this world. And so he's here to offer people a new birth, a new chance at life. From here, Jesus travels north and he ends up at a sacred well in a conversation with a Samaritan, that is a non-Jewish woman. And they start talking about water, which Jesus turns into a metaphor for himself. He says he's here to bring living water that can become a source of eternal life. Now in John, this term refers to a new quality of life, one that's infused with God's eternal love, and it's a life that can begin now and last on into the future. After this, John has designed another collection of stories that took place during four Jewish sacred days or feasts. And again, Jesus uses the images related to the feasts to make claims about himself. So Jesus first heals a paralyzed man on the Sabbath, which starts a controversy with the Jewish leaders about working on the day of rest. And Jesus says it's his father who's working on the Sabbath, and so is he. And they catch his meaning, that he was calling God his father, making himself equal with God, and so they want to kill him. The next story takes place during Passover, the feast that retold the Exodus story with the symbolic meal of the lamb and bread and wine. And Jesus miraculously provides food for a crowd of thousands, which results in people asking him for more bread. And then Jesus goes on to claim that he is the true bread, and if they eat him, they will discover eternal life. And this offends many people who stop following him. After this is a block of stories set in Jerusalem during the Feast of Tabernacles, which retold the story of Israel's wilderness wanderings as God guided them with the pillar of cloud and fire and provided them water in the desert. And Jesus gets up in the temple courts and he shouts, If anyone is thirsty, let them come to me and drink. And then later he says, I am the light of the world. 
He's claiming to be the illuminating presence of God and the life-saving gift of God to his people. And some people believe and follow him, but others are offended and still others try to kill him for these exalted claims. The final feast story is during Hanukkah, which means rededication. It's about how Judah Maccabee cleared the temple of idols and set it apart as holy once more. And Jesus goes into the temple area and says that he is the one whom God has set apart as the holy one, and that he is the true temple where God's presence dwells. And he also says, I and the Father are one. This makes the Jerusalem leaders so angry, they set in motion a plan to kill Jesus, and so he retreats from the city. Now, all these conflicts, they culminate in one last miraculous sign. Jesus hears that his dear friend Lazarus is sick, but his family lives near Jerusalem, which is now a death trap for Jesus. Now, Jesus could stay away and he would save his own life, but he loves Lazarus. So once he hears that Lazarus has died, he goes to raise him from the dead and he calls him to life out of his tomb, knowing that it will cost him his own life. And the news of this amazing sign, it spreads quickly, of course, and just as Jesus knew it happened, the Jerusalem leaders hear about it and begin conspiring to murder him. And so he rides into Jerusalem as Israel's king who's rejected by its leaders. So the first half of John draws to a close with this story about Jesus laying down his life as an act of love for his friend. And this, of course, is also a sign pointing forward to the cross, which we'll explore more in the next video. But for now, that's the first half of the Gospel of John. Now, like the, uh, the Bible Project videos, they, they certainly very clearly tell you what is the content of uh, a particular Gospel. In fact, they go right through the different books of the Bible. So you're looking to get an understanding? Go and have a look at some of those Bible Project videos. But did you see the responses that the various people gave to Jesus' teaching and his miracles? Some saw and believed. Others rejected and they got angry. And they, there was a whole lot of controversy around what Jesus was doing and saying. So I'm titling my talk this morning, Who Do You Say the Son of Man Is? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth and the beauty of it, the way it teaches and instructs us, helps us to ponder just who you are, Father, and helps us to see what you have done. And as your disciples, Father, we ask that we too may understand, truly understand, and be able to share your gospel with others so that they too may come to know and trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you attended our Easter services, I think you would have been blessed by Mark and Chris's sermons, uh, bringing firstly to life the story of Martha, uh, Mary, and Lazarus, which is what the, that first section of the John's Gospel concentrates on. And then Palm Sunday with Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, with the people welcoming the new king, the Messiah. And then our service of silence on Thursday night. Did you, did you go to that one? And what did you think? It really is a, an amazing time, just sitting and pondering and thinking over what Jesus went through. It's always such a moving experience, I think. Uh, our Good Friday service commemorating Jesus' crucifixion, ending with a celebration of joy on Sunday, knowing that Jesus has conquered the grave 
for he is risen. And I hope that God's Spirit was speaking to your heart through those services and messages. I know that sometimes uh, it's the little things, the hidden details that help us to better understand the depth and the beauty of God's Word. I know I pondered Chris's comment on the two-day delay in Jesus going to Bethany to be with Mary and Martha after he had heard that Lazarus was sick but still alive. But he deliberately chose to arrive after Lazarus had died and had been dead for four days. Four days. A little detail but so important to the story. Chris reminded us that the Jewish belief or the tradition perhaps a superstition, was that uh, a person's spirit could remain with the body for up to three days. So after four days, well, even Martha said to Jesus, Lord, by this time, in Lazarus's tomb, there would be a bad odour. Or as the King James Version puts it, by this time he stinketh. Just a little detail, but it helps us to understand better the context there was with definitely being no opportunity for people to misunderstand or misconstrue what Jesus had done. He was revealing his glory and power in raising Lazarus from the dead. When Jesus earlier had received a messenger from, sent from Mary and Martha, he had said to his disciples, Lazarus's sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Jesus was demonstrating his divinity. He then told his disciples, Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. They did not understand, so he just told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may now believe. Jesus then went to Bethany and on the way he met Martha. He told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Lord, she said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus, Jesus again dis displaying his divinity, said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? It's a great question to Martha, but it also is one directed to us. Is that what you believe? Whoever believes in me will never die, Jesus said. Martha replied, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. A statement of belief by Martha based on what she had seen and heard. As I said, I've titled my talk this morning, Who Do You Say the Son of Man Is? We know what happened next. Jesus went to Lazarus's tomb. Those who were mourning at Mary and Martha's house followed Jesus to see what he was going to do. Lazarus's family, his friends and other Jewish mourners. Jesus said to Martha, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And they took away the stone and Jesus looked up and said father I thank you I know that you always hear me but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me 
and he called with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Jesus, the son of man, as he generally referred to himself, implying his humanity. Jesus now reveals himself as the son of God and performs this miracle, the last before being arrested, tried and crucified, raising Lazarus from the dead, four days after his death, so there could be no disputing his death. And Philip's going to come and read now our Bible passage from John 11, 43 to 53. Thanks, Philip. So you can uh, follow me in these Bibles in the pews or on the screen behind me. So John chapter 11, verse 45. Therefore many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary had seen what Jesus did and believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called the meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is a man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone who believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away our temple and our nation. Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was a high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realise that it is better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but as a high priest this year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation, and not only for the nation, but also for the scattered children of God, to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Phil. Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead. I don't know about you, but if I just witnessed someone being raised from the dead, I think I would have been amazed and probably a little bit terrified. Who is this man? How did he do this? I saw Lazarus was dead, no question. Surely this Jesus has God's power at work in him. Surely he is who he claims to be, the Son of God. Many who were there believed in Jesus. And some of them went back and told the Pharisees just what Jesus had done. And I would have imagined that so that the Pharisees then might investigate the claim for themselves and come to believe as well. But no. They just saw Jesus as a, as a threat, a threat to their religious authority. They feared losing their power and their prestige. Jesus was someone they had to deal with to preserve their religious beliefs and their covenant system. After all, they were God's chosen people, weren't they? And as Phil read for us in the meeting of the Sanhedrin, they said, what are we accomplishing? They asked. Here is a man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. What a wonderful thought. Everyone will come to believe in him. But no, even though they agreed that he was performing many miraculous signs, 
you might even say that they authenticated his claim to be the son of God, still they would not, or could not, say, <coughs> see. Earlier in the temple courts, the Jews had asked Jesus plainly, tell us plainly, are you the Messiah? Jesus answered them in his somewhat usual cryptic way, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name, they testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. His works, his miracles, his signs, they testify to who he is, but they did still did not see. They can't see. And we saw all that in our video on John's Gospel. And now we come to that aha moment. Well, at least it was for me anyway. Can we see on the screen verse 49 onwards again, please? <clears throat> Thank you. Caiaphas, the high priest, he was the only one allowed into the temple's holy of holy places, and then only once a year. He was the grand poobah, if you like. Caiaphas had earlier prophesied that the one man Jesus would die for the Jewish nation, and not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God, ultimately the Gentiles, us. He said he prophesied to bring them together and to make them one. And how right he was. Jesus did die for the Jewish nation and for the whole world, but probably not in the way that Caiaphas had thought when he prophesied. His prophecy was that by Jesus' death, he would, they would be able to save the temple and the Jewish nation. But Jesus dies as the sacrificial lamb for the sins of the Jewish nation and the sins of the whole world. So when you sit back and think about it, all prophecy is a gift of the Holy Spirit. First Corinthians tells us that. So the Spirit of God had planted this prophecy in the mind of Caiaphas, the high priest, and as the high priest, his, this prophecy would not have been questioned. So that Why? So that God's plan of salvation would be fulfilled in the death of his son. Because after Caiaphas had revealed this prophecy, the Jewish leaders then plotted to kill Jesus. Caiaphas had said Jesus would die for the Jewish nation and not Jewish, Jesus would die so that the Jewish nation would be saved. And not only for the nation, but also for the scattered children of God, to bring them together and make them one. You know, when we saw the Bible Project video on John's Gospel, we saw that Jesus pre performed many miracles and signs. And he made claims about himself that led many to believe in him. But it also led to misunderstanding and controversies particularly among the religious leaders when they sought to understand Jesus in the light of their orthodox Jewish teaching and traditions. Some Jewish leaders, like Nicodemus, believed in Jesus, but still others got angry at his claims and they walked away. Some even plotted to harm or to kill him because it appeared that he was talking heresy when he claimed that God was his father and he was that he was not only the son of man, but he is the son of God. The purpose of John's gospel, as we saw in the video, is to present the evidence to help 
people understand and believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and then that by believing in him, they have life in his name. So again, I ask you, who do you say the Son of Man is? It's certainly a question that everyone in the world needs to confront and to answer for themselves. And depending on your answer, will determine the direction of your life for eternity. But belief in Jesus as God, as the Son of God, and therefore as your Saviour, just doesn't happen. It is a work of the Holy Spirit. And even when presented with the Gospel, some will listen, some will believe, whilst others, like the Jewish religious leaders in Jesus' time, will dismiss the claims based on their own religious background and thinking. Or perhaps, like today, there is a general apathy towards Christianity, or a bias based on the wrongdoings of the so-called Christians we see in churches and institutions. It certainly is enough to turn people away. So when people do bother to look at Jesus, who do they see? And where do they turn to? To books? To friends? To the church? Surveys have shown that whilst about 92% of the population believe Jesus was a real person, less than 46% of millennials believe in the divinity of Jesus. 59% Gen Xers, 65% of baby boomers, and 71% of the elderly. And that was eight years ago, 2015. Books like Who Moved the Stone? written by Frank Morrison, who was a skeptic who set out to prove the resurrection was a myth, only to be convinced of its truth. Or the book Lord, Liar or Lunatic by C.S. Lewis. He was originally an atheist and he set out to disprove Christianity, only to become one of its staunchest advocates. Both worth a read if you haven't done so. Both men seeking to understand. Both men found God. One of my favourite passages in the Bible is Jeremiah 29:13, And it says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. You just have to start seeking. Interesting, interestingly, while most other religions include the historical Jesus in their teachings, sorry, interesting, interestingly, <laughs> Most other religious religions do include the historical Jesus in their teaching. Now, why do you suppose that is? I imagine it is so that their followers would be given a predetermined interpretation on, on how they should view Jesus and in so doing be led away from God's truth that he is the Son of God. It often amazes me that the ancient and, and modern Jews do not see Jesus as their promised Messiah, even with groups like Jews for Jesus helping to present Jesus as having fulfilled all the prophecies about him in the Old Testament. The Jewish writings, the Talmud and the Toldot Yeshu, and I'm not sure if I've said that correctly, they believe that Jesus was Mary's son, but they deny a virgin birth. They believe he was a teacher and had many disciples. They believe he was a miracle worker, but that he practiced magic and led Israel astray. They acknowledge his death on the tree, which by Mosaic law was a cursed death. 
but they deny his resurrection. In fact, in their writings, they say a gardener had taken him from the grave and buried him in his garden. Truly, that's what is written. The Jews deny Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Thank God for groups like Jews for Jesus taking a ministry to the Jewish people. Islam, on the other hand, acknowledges Jesus as a prophet, a miracle worker and a significant person in their writings. He is revered. The Quran agrees that Jesus was born of a Virgin Mary. He is revered as a prophet and an apostle of Allah sent to the children of Israel. But Muslims deny that Jesus is the Son of God, saying in the Quran that any Jew or Christians by saying this are deluded away from the truth and Allah's curse beyond them. They believe Moses and Jesus were two of Allah's messengers sent to earth and that Jesus did in fact ascend into heaven in bodily form. But Muslims, and Muslims believe that Jesus will come again, but that he will return as a Muslim and a follower of Muhammad, returning to earth to revive Islam. Yeah, yeah. Hindus believe that Jesus was a holy man, a wise teacher and a god with a small g. Buddhists believe that Jesus was an enlightened man and a wise teacher. The Baha'i faith described Jesus as a manifestation of God who had divine and human nature and was a messenger of God along with Abraham, Muhammad, Buddha, Krishna and Zoroaster. Whilst the New Age teachings say that, God was, uh, that Jesus was a wise and moral teacher. Now why do you think so many of these religions have stories that try to account for Jesus in terms of their own religion, but they discount the eyewitness revelations about Jesus in the New Testament? It seems in some way they want to claim Jesus as their own, to tell their version of who Jesus is, but certainly not to attribute the gospel message of Jesus as the Son of God to his person. With these religious teachings, their own versions of Jesus, who Jesus is, they deflect their followers away from the gospel version, making it harder for Christians to share the gospel with them. Some might say impossible, and, but I'm reminded that nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Jenny and I have been attending the Mudgee Baptist Church when we go visit our son in Mudgee. And over the past year, the, uh, the pastor there had taken a, a new posting and several of the families moved out of the area with their jobs. They have lost several of the key ministry workers and it seems like the church would not be able to continue. We were there over Easter this uh, weekend and on the Sunday there was an announcement in the church that they had been approached by a Christian school, an independent Christian school, wanting to establish on the church site and use their facilities. And I thought, nothing is impossible with God. So we just need to be in prayer and to share our faith with others. The gospel message is the power of God to change lives, regardless of the religious, religious background or lack of it. In Matthew 16, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages ahead of, around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, Who do people say that I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. 
But what about you, he said? Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, Lord, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so with that, I want to close with that question again. Who do you say is the Son of Man? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the, that the gospel is the power for life for those who believe. We thank you, Father, that you call us to seek and when we seek that we will find you. We thank you, Father, that even with the barriers that are in place with other religions saying who Jesus is from their interpretation, we know that he is the Son of God and your gospel cuts through whatever other teachings there are. We thank you, Father, that you will establish your church and you have done so and continue to do so. And we are encouraged, Father, that we should share our faith, share the gospel, and that it is a work of your spirit to bring people to belief. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.